we feel ourselves as part of a, a big family around the world that is willing to change the, the vision of, of ecology in the planet and, and leaving uh, a trait of responsibility and uh, friendship with our mother nature and with all others that are doing efforts like this around the world. Energy sovereignty, sustainability, and resilience are central components to global climate action, the protection of Mother Earth, and the safeguarding of generations to come. Tanche, Kia Wow, Freddie P. Campbell, Dishanika Sean, Algonquin Oto Tan. Hello, everyone. My name is Freddie Upe Campbell. I'm currently a guest on unceded, unsurrendered Algonquin territory and originally born and raised in the Kootenays in BC. I'm a proud Michif person and super grateful to be here today with my good friend and colleague, Ms. Gakwin. Thank you, Freddie. Tansei Kakyo. Uh, my name is Ms. Gakwin James Harper. I'm your co-host for Decolonizing Power. Joining you from the fabulous and sunny Treaty One territory, I am a proud citizen of Sturgeon Lake Cree Nation in Treaty Eight territory. And we would like to welcome you back to a continuation of our discussion and conversations with Nelson and Feliciano joining us from Puerto Rico. Indeed. So if you have not listened to our previous episode, we'd recommend you go back to get a little bit of a background, um, but we'll give a, a quick recap here. As Ms. Gakwin mentioned, we have Nelson Colon, the president of the Fundacion Comunitario de Puerto Rico, or FCPR for short, as well as Feliciano Rodriguez Dominguez, um, who is the director of the Cooperativa de Energia de San Salvador, or Porucho Co-op. Last time we heard about the obstacles and the challenges that Feliciano and Nelson have to overcome with the incredible work that they are doing in Puerto Rico. Uh, but in today's episode, we wanted to focus more on the, the impact. And to start us off, let's just jump right into it. Feliciano, you know, you're speaking about community coming together and forming this cooperative. How did you integrate community knowledge into the project that you're working on? We had six workshops with participation of more than 100 residents of the community. That was very important because we had dialogues and they expressed themselves that they wanted to have the direction in their hands of the project. Even though they didn't know a lot of it, but they were willing to learn and they wanted to own the project. And we have been very respectful of that. Uh, the cooperative model helps us because we have assemblies and the, the main decisions have to be taken uh, by majority at least uh, of the members. And more important than that is the re-education of the residents in terms of not thinking, for example, that the solar system is an unlimited source of energy. So we, we have to create a new mindset for the responsible use of the systems. Uh, we have also identified two engineers uh, from the community, and we are working with them the, with the expectation of creating a local company 
of uh, installators and, and they will help us with all the process there. We have also made a partnership with um, the University of Puerto Rico in Umacao. There are four professors there that have committed themselves to help us in identifying the needs of the community, education, uh, the reduction of proposals and many other things. So it's been a very interesting, sometimes unexpected uh, doors that are opening for this. It all started with the belief from the Fundación Comunitaria in us, and there are many others then that have come after them, and we have joined their efforts and, and made partnerships with them. Sounds like you've been very busy, <laughs> but that's really great. I mean, partnerships are such an important aspect of renewable energy and just life in general uh, to ensure there's as much support as possible. So it's really nice to hear that you're able to connect with as many people as you have, and hopefully there's a lot more to come. Uh, speaking of Nelson, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing an example of one of the three projects that you mentioned uh, in our last episode that you've been able to fund and maybe a little bit more about how you're connected to them. Um. One project. Um, the first um, solar community we launched is um, located in the in the central mountain range in Puerto Rico. Uh, so they're pretty much isolated. They remained after Maria eight months without power. This one, it was designed and engineered by the residents themselves, owned by the community itself. There are other uh, solar communities in Puerto Rico, but are not owned by the residents. And, um, and then based on that, uh, we launched uh, the community-owned, residents-owned solar community concept in Puerto Rico. So that was a beacon of light, uh, really, in terms of what was possible for rural community in Puerto Rico against major challenges. And um, it has impacted me in a very unique way. It, sh it really shows um, what the power of communities, of organized communities, what their power is and what that power can accomplish. So uh, in Puerto Rico, it has been a major step forward. It's still a, a reference for other communities in Puerto Rico. And we are pretty much looking forward to launch the Green Energy Corridor um, in Puerto Rico, based and inspired by that isolated community uh, in the Central Mountain Range in Puerto Rico. Wow, this is very exciting work. Uh, this is the kind of stories that we wanted to share. So thank you so much for, for joining us and, and explaining more the work that you're doing in Puerto Rico I think this is highlighting yet another important fact we must come to terms with going forward for a lot, a lot of places globally. Uh, the uncomfortable conversations that we need to have is, you know, even if we cut emissions tomorrow, you know, there will still be a, a prevalence of extreme weather events for the time being. And so a conversation that definitely needs to be happening for many, many communities worldwide is how do we adapt? How do we build stronger and more resilient infrastructure 
Um, and how can we take this opportunity in this time of rebuilding uh, to also do it in a more meaningful and equitable manner? And I think that you are demonstrating that exactly with the kind of work that you're doing. So thank you so much for sharing that. And so in the essence of, of looking forward, I wanted to know from both of you, your vision for the communities uh, that you're working in or for all of Puerto Rico, you know, what do you see for the future, especially regarding clean energy and energy security in your communities? We have been surprised by the fact that many people call us and uh, we feel that we're just beginners, but at the same time, we have the responsibility of sharing what we've learned and accomplished with others that are starting like we did. People that have called us uh, from far away cities like Cabo Rojo or Vieques or uh, nearby La Margarita in, in the town of Salinas, they invited us to visit them. They have a community organization as well. And I suppose this is one of, of those projects that are possibly coming soon to these to be sponsored or, or helped by the Fundacion. So we, we think of them like, like a daughter that we have. <laughs> and it is a great honor and, and a great privilege. Uh, we expect to continue sharing this knowledge and the, what we've learned and accomplished. We have recorded everything we've done, uh, taking very good care of the minutes, uh, of the lessons, of the process, writing it down, uh, recording it, so that we can reply uh, this model with, in other places and help in that. Uh, people are learning a lot of, of these themes recently because this has become something like a revolution of energy in Puerto Rico. It's still unorganized, it's still very chaotic, so to say, but we hope to give some insight on that and share our learning with them. Uh, regarding ambition in the future for Puerto Rico, we need to keep in mind that uh, after Maria, where the island's energy grid uh, collapsed, it was uh, declared by the government that 200,000 families will be left permanently disconnected from the central grid, from uh, the Puerto Rico energy uh, system. Um, so uh, we started to envision for those families in the central mountain range, an interconnected set of solar communities where they could be connected to the government if the government decides to do so, but in the, in the case that they will be disconnected, then they will have the capacity to generate their own power. Um, so we need a lot of um, allies to do that, um, including the government. We need public policy to make that happen, and we need massive funding to make that happen. But um, that is our vision. Um, we think it is reachable. Uh, we have had um, very solid experiences, uh, Pirucho Corp being one. We are learning from Pirucho, we are learning from Toro Negro, and that is providing a lot of information regarding how to best organize communities in Puerto Rico. Um, 
So the, the vision is fairly clear. Uh, it's basically a green energy corridor in the central mountain range uh, of Puerto Rico, where uh, 300 communities uh, could benefit from uh, generating their own power. That could be, by the way, and an example for, for the green energy movement in the U.S. and elsewhere. I love those visions, and I think that they're very doable. You know, I really appreciate, Feliciano, the lesson of recording everything. I think that that really stuck out in my head because there are so many teachings um, and learnings that can be shared with communities who are all doing this work. Uh, so I really appreciate that and your story. And Nelson, um, you know, it's so beautiful because hearing these stories from folks around the world and how things start out small, um, but because of folks like you who are working so hard to make sure these projects can happen, there is really just this ripple effect to the rest of the communities and the country. So hopefully the kind of interconnected vision that you spoke to can become a reality. Uh, and I, I definitely think it's possible. There are so many opportunities and we really appreciate the time that you've taken, the words that you've shared, uh, and the stories that will be with us um, for many years to come. So I just wanted to uh, leave some space for you both to share any last words. I would only add that we are a small community, around 700 houses, uh, homes, and uh, so far we have contacted uh, directly 250 of those residents that have said that they are certainly interested in joining this project. We have more than 70 members of the, in the cooperative. And so we expect to grow, but I think we feel ourselves as part of a, a big family around the world that is willing to change the, the vision of, of ecology in the planet and, and leaving uh, a trait of responsibility and uh, friendship with our mother nature and with all others that are doing efforts like this around the world. And we are learning from them and we hope this little uh, seed that we have planted, uh, we expect it to become stronger and give back to, the, to the, our earth what we have received. Uh, I want to invite uh, social investors. So I want to invite uh, organizations from the philanthropic sector to join us in developing this uh, example for the world. It is not a model. It is an example. It is an example of um, successful practices of community-owned, community-managed, and uh, community-trained uh, communities uh, in, in Puerto Rico, that could uh, easily be an e examples to look at. How do we face and address shortage of power based on fossil fuels when we have an endless uh, sources of power provided by the sun and provided by water? I couldn't have said it any much better, Nelson. And Feliciano, I think the messaging that you are sharing with us deeply aligns with, with us for the work that we do at Indigenous Clean Energy and very much likely with all of our listeners. 
So I just wanted to say thank you so much, Hi Hi, for joining us on our episodes here and sharing a lot more on uh, this, uh, well, the work that you're doing, but also why it's so important. Marcy, to you both. Wow, Miskakwin, another very impactful, uh, well, two very impactful stories um, that we've been able to hear and share on this podcast. I just wondered if you had any reflections um, that you wanted to share. Yeah, I think um, there's yet another layer of, I guess, intersectionality on why this work is so important. We talked a lot about about how clean energy projects in general can really uh, drive economic return and keep that return within communities. Um, you know, communities can lead on climate action because they are reducing their emissions right from the source. Um, you know, ownership and having that pride in a project located in the community and built by the community. There's so many different, different benefits and honestly uplifting messages. But I think we have also uncovered yet a very important message on adaptation, especially because a lot of communities worldwide who have not really contributed to any sort of significant amount of emissions and therefore, you know, the all the impacts that climate change is bringing, yet are disproportionately affected by climate change. Uh, case in point, you know, extreme weather events that that are hitting island nations like Puerto Rico. And so it goes to show that clean energy systems add quite a lot of resilience because by design, they are located within communities and they are primarily just for communities uh, rather than, you know, large scale utility projects that are located elsewhere and relying on vast networks of transmission and distribution systems, we can actually have generation and storage located right within the community and that you know bringing that degree of energy sovereignty and security much closer to the community means that it's also a great model for resilience and for adaptation yeah i could not agree more um there's so many pieces within what you said and i think that having this opportunity, so to speak, or when there is an opportunity for communities to design projects um, that they see for their communities in a way that is meaningful to them, uh, that offers so much more um, than a process or uh, a checkbox. It really offers those uh, opportunities for sovereignty, as you mentioned, but also for revitalization within communities. And that in of itself is even aside from decolonization, it's going beyond um, and into a space of understanding and relearning our ways of knowing and being and having an opportunity to really carry that forward. Uh, and that is what energy can do and what renewable energy projects can do. In my opinion, it's such a connection uh, that is there and that is very present, but something that maybe folks wouldn't think about uh, right away. So hearing these stories of the communities coming together, 
to make this happen in, in really unique and, and beautiful ways is so amazing and why we love this work. Yep. Completely agree with you, Freddie. Yep. This is why, you know, being a co-host with you on this podcast series is such a, such a privilege because, you know, we are uncovering a lot of nuances and, and untold stories about clean energy projects uh, worldwide that I think definitely deserve to be highlighted and, and shared uh, to a greater extent. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, even just finding these connections between communities that are so far apart and that have very different needs and very different realities, yet this is what community energy community-led renewable energy can do, um, I think speaks for itself. And if we were doing some form of like case study or research study, I think even within this podcast, there's enough impact to show that this is the future and this should be the future. Um, and if it's not, then we might be in trouble. So I think that there's, there is that, there is that both that um, sense of urgency yet sense of need to do things in a good way um which also brings hope absolutely hope and you know from from the words that we heard in our episode you know the barriers are are still there and still present but you know policy and and barriers like funding and uh you know getting even communities on board and on side with such initiatives it starts with conversation and it starts with presenting bold ideas and and listening to to what folks might have to say uh, to really do it in a truly authentic and, and community centered manner. And again, you know, this is why our work with the podcast is, is such a great privilege for me. Hopefully starting this dialogue and this conversation is the first step in that direction. Ugh, so beautiful. <laughs> We will take this forward to listen, be bold, and act in a way that is meaningful to future generations. Uh, Marcy Miskakwin, such an honor. Uh, and thank you everyone for listening and tuning in to another episode of the Decolonizing Power podcast series. Yes, thank you so much, Freddie. And thank you to our listeners as well for taking the time to tune in and hear more about these wonderful stories on clean energy projects for communities by communities. Stay tuned and please keep up to date on all of your devices and connective internet pieces. Ah. <laughs> <laughs>